Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans, and welcome to episode number 105 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is February 17th. 2010. We got a good show for you this week on the podcast. We've got a lot of recruiting to get to. We're going to talk about the team, their offseason workouts, the upcoming uh, NCAA hearing for USC out in Arizona. Lots to get to. If you have any questions or comments for us, you can always drop us an email. Podcast at uscfootball.com is our email address. And we love to talk to the coach, Harvey Hyde, in the first segment. As always, coach, how are you, buddy? Ryan, I'm doing great, baby. I've coasted right into the off season, which means I'm getting ready for the next season. And uh, we have finished recruiting, but you're never done recruiting. You recruit every single day. You evaluate <laughs> videos every single day. You evaluate. Right now, I would bet if you were to talk to Coach Giffen, they are evaluating every single player on the roster in USC. As far as every position coach is looking at every single player, to know that player and decide themselves, not what rumors say or what people think, but what they think of the personnel that's now on the roster at USC and possibly, too, making adjustments on where those players will play next year or in the spring. You know, just because you are an offensive tackle for Pete Carroll doesn't mean you're going to be an offensive tackle for Lane Kiffin. Yeah, maybe you're a wide receiver. Who knows? (laughs) Who knows? But uh, I'll tell you, it's a good feeling, too, for a player because you get a complete new opinion. You have a fresh start. uh, You're not labeled. You have a chance to show your abilities. And uh, sometimes you can go and sit down with the coach and even tell him you feel as though you were played out of position. You like an opportunity for them to think about you playing linebacker or whatever. So there's a lot of that going on right now, and, and, and there's not a depth chart at SC for this spring. Everybody's going to start out on their own. There isn't a number one anywhere. So uh, it's going to be interesting. But those coaches right now are doing that evaluation on every single player. So they make sure they have their top 11 players on the field, offensively, defensively, and special teams. This is what I'd be doing at one time. And I think it's really important that you look at the positions for spring practice and you say, what do we have at tight end? Well, have we ever seen Ansbury as, as a tight end? Let's look at him there. He's big. He's strong. Uh, we have three freshmen coming in, but let's see what he might do. He's experienced. Like they moved Fred Davis in. Let's see what he can do on or off the line of scrimmage. That might be his future even in the NFL. I would do a lot of things like that to make sure – you've got the players in the right position. I agree with you, Coach, and we'll get to that in a second. I just wanted to thank our sponsor for the segment, Southern California Tickets. SCTickets.com is the website, or give them a call, 1-800-888-7287 if you need tickets for anything. And I, I think USC fans are going to want to get tickets coming up this year for USC football. And, you know, like you said, Coach, you can talk, you can say what you want about Carroll and you know, Pete Carroll and Chris Carlisle and stuff like that. Just having a new set of coaches there does seem to add to the energy a little bit. And I talked to Matt Barkley a little bit about this yesterday, and he said the same thing about the offseason workouts. I mean, they, they loved Chris Carlisle, and I think just having something different there, a little bit different routine, it just puts an extra kick at everybody's step, you know, and it just seems to make things work a little bit better. So it'll be It'll be fun to watch this spring football, what's going on, what the attitude of the players is like, because I really think you're going to see a high-energy, higher-tempo set of practices just because you have a whole bunch of new coaches there, a whole bunch of new leadership on the team. Well, I agree with you 100%. Even ourselves, when we go out to practice, we're going to want to see what's different, who's coaching what way, are the drills the same, is the organization the same, who's been moved where, whatever. Uh, what are the new uh, sets, or is there new is there a new offense or defense or whatever? Uh, I think it's going to be a lot of energy towards the program. I think that uh, the players are going to be excited about spring practice. 
and as we all are. And uh, everyone's looking forward to the next year. Yeah, and I mean, we, we're watching some of these uh, freshmen coming in. Uh, the only guys on campus right now, Kyle Prater and Dylan Baxter, I know we've talked about them uh, before on the podcast, but just really impressive-looking kids. And you can check, we put up some video on uscfootball.com yesterday. You can see them catching balls and stuff and see them in action. When you have guys like that coming in and a recruiting class coming in, I think that each coach, and you can probably attest to this more than anybody, when you recruit a player personally, you probably have a little bit better bond with him than someone that was from the previous regime. And they're going to, you know, the, the true freshmen coming in are going to get a chance to prove that, hey, I belong on this team. I, I deserve some playing time. So I think it's going to add to the level of competition there. Guys that were in spots, like you said, if you're, you're playing right tackle or left tackle or receiver or tight end, wherever you're playing and you feel that you're going to start, you're going to have to earn that spot and you're going to have to show in practices that you were the person that's meant for that job and you should be there. I agree with you. And you mentioned Dylan Baxter. I'm really anxious to see where they play him. You know, he's been a running back. He's been a quarterback. uh, He can be a receiver. I'm really anxious to see where they would put him right now after what you described and what I know about him. You know, I play him. I play him in the slot. I let him catch some passes and and let people try to tackle him. Uh, I really would. He's a great runner. I'd bring him around, uh, run some reverses with him, uh, run different plays with him. I'd like to get him in the open field. That's exactly the way I look at him currently right now. Because he's not physical. He's a guy you want in space. He's a guy you want out there where it's one-on-one. And I think he'd be really terrific out there. He's not a big guy, but he's big enough. And I think that if you miss the tackle, uh, you are in trouble. So, you know, I'm just looking at that, and I don't think you can play man on him. Come up and bump him because I think he can get a release on you and get the ball. Uh, And these are the type of things we'll all be looking forward to in the spring because you've got a lot of running backs, and you've got to get your players on the field, and you've got to get the ball to the playmakers. So you've got to get your playmakers in the game. It doesn't do you any good to have them watching with you or sitting up in the stands. No, I mean, you need to find a way to get them on the field. And I think utilize the talents and their strengths to the best of their ability and, and to, you know, to the benefit of the team. Where we look at a guy like Kyle Prater, he's not a burner down the field, but he's so physical. You can toss him balls up to the sideline. He's covered, and he's going to catch those balls anyway. He's got these big hands. And like you said, get Dill Baxter in space somewhere. He's not small. I think he's, you know, about 200 pounds or so. He's, I think he's physical enough. That's a good way to put it. Um, but he has a knack for getting open as well. And I think if you see those kind of abilities in the new players coming in and there's a way to help the team, try to put them in the situations where you don't just you know, put a square peg into a round hole type of thing. You're, you're putting guys on the field that you know excel at what you're going to ask them to do. And I think some of the talent coming in this class that we'll get to see, most of them in fall camp, but we'll get to see Dylan Baxter and Kyle Prater in spring ball. I think there's there's a lot of things that these guys can bring to the table, and it'll be up to the coaches to put them in those spots where they can succeed. I agree with you, and it's uh, and it really I think it's a, a, a very encouraging for the running backs as far as now having an opportunity to show themselves. Mark Tyler and, and, and Bradford, everybody that's coming back, where you you're going to be the guy. I think everybody should sort of say, I want to be the guy, and and the offensive line and the defensive line and the defensive end position, how open that'll be as far as all the talent there. I think the secondary will have real athletes playing there. So, you know, it's going to be really interesting to see just what happens during the spring as they get ready for the next season. All right. Well, we got a couple questions, Coach. You want to, you want to take a shot at answering some of these? Well, I'll try. All right. Well, we got uh, Kevin S. He wants to know about Monty Kiffin's defense. He's He's not familiar with it. What does he do? Does he blitz a lot? Is it zone or man? Safety's up near the line of scrimmage. Or is it a defense that causes a lot of turnovers? Um, you know, he's been a little frustrated with the amount of turnovers and the, the lack of turnover production, I guess you could say, with the USC defense lately under Pete Carroll. So maybe kind of just give your thoughts on, on what Monty, Monty Kiffin's defense is going to bring to USC. Well, you know, what it's going to bring is soundness. And if you know what I mean by when I say sound – that means they're not going to give you anything. You're going to have to earn it. They're not going to make mistakes on defense. Normally when you make a mistake on defense, it costs you. It costs you a big play or a missed tackle or so on. They're going to tackle well. 
They're going to be in position to make the play. He's going to demand that. It's going to be very similar to what Pete Carroll did as far as the alignments and so on and the blitzing and everything else. But he's a cover two guy. You always hear a cover two. People say, what is cover two? Well, cover one is normally man. Cover two is what you call a, a zone defense where the safeties have the deep outside and the corners, depending what the route is, have the pressure. So what he does, he plays it safe. He takes away the, the short passes with the corners, and then the safeties help the corner, depending on what the route might be. If they're putting a back in the flat, then the corner has to go up and take the back, then the safety takes over for the corner. So uh, he's going to have two center fielders, guys that can go to the football, guys that can make interceptions, guys that can make plays, and guys that can tackle. Their corners are going to be tougher because when you play a uh, cover two, you've got to come up and make the play. They're going to be more physical, if you know what I mean. Not that he isn't going to play cover one, man, and play a lot of other different coverages and so on, nickel and so on. But whatever he runs, they're going to be sound. Not that Pete Carroll's defense wasn't sound, but they're going to be in the right position to make the play. He will demand that. If they only run one defense, that defense will be run properly with the players in the, in the position to make the play. I, I used to teach that way. I used to say, we're not going to add another play until we run this play correctly. And I think that's exactly the philosophy Monty Kiffin has. We're going to run this defense, a base defense. Once we learn to do it the hard way, which is playing base and everyone knowing what you're doing and do it right, then we'll add things to help you. And I think that's basically what you're going to see out there. You're going to see people in a position to make a play. You're going to see adjustments being made. No matter what formation they run, people will know where to line up to and how to cover it or how to attack it or how to play that offense. And I think that's one thing he will bring is soundness. He'll bring soundness to the USC defense. Now, I haven't seen him teaching it. I'm not saying that's what he's going to do. But off his past and who he is, one thing he believes in is technique. One thing he believes in is getting your job and doing your job and having a team effort, pursuing to the football, and making the play. And you can't play for Monty Kiffin missing tackles or being out of position. If you're, you can be the world's greatest athlete, but if you're out of position and you can't make the play, you're not going to play. Well, that makes a lot of sense, Coach. Thanks for that question, Kevin. Uh, we have a question from Evan about Pac-10 expansion, something we talked about in the past, and, and you were uh, uh, had some opinions on this one, Coach. He wanted to talk about Boise State. He felt that Boise State would be a much better fit to the Pac-10, a better, he says, a better university than Colorado or Utah or anything like that. What did you think about the possibility of a Boise State joining the Pac-10? Well, you know, Boise State excuse, excuse me, certainly has uh, proven they can play football, but I don't think there'll be a candidate for the Pac-10 because, first of all, when you look for expansion, and, and you know, it's going to take a couple of years for this to happen. This isn't something, that, excuse me, that's going to happen overnight. That's going to be something that takes a lot of time and a lot of process to doing this and a lot of studies and, and uh, with university presidents and athletic directors and commissioners and so on. So, this, you know, it's good to speculate who might be coming in, Colorado, this, that, so on, Boise State, Utah. But it's got to be something that brings something to the conference. That university that comes in has to be something other than, you know, a great football program that it can bring to the conference. It's got to bring a large viewing audience, potential huge sales as far as cable and television and so on, direct TV and so on, if they form their own network. It's got to be able to bring in a stadium that can, it has the capacity to be able to give the guarantees and also uh, make it something special uh, for the Pac-10, the admission requirements and, and all of the academic standards of these universities have to be at the same level of what the Pac-10 is. I'm not saying Boise State is not. I'm just saying these are the things you're going to look at. But looking at the state of Idaho, a lot of people go there because they don't want to be around a lot of people. They just want to sort of get lost and relax and enjoy what they do there. 
grow potatoes and everything else. So they don't have a large population in the state of Idaho. So as far as bringing a higher rating and marketing and all of the things that are necessary, that can't be something that would bring the Pac-10 additional dollars. A Nebraska, a Colorado, someone huge that will move their exposure farther east will be something I think they'll be looking at. Now, I'm not saying those are the schools, but I'm saying if I was looking at it, as Larry Scott would be looking at it, as far as the television exposure and your own television network, you want to be able to have name recognition, large universities with large alumni base that will want to follow their teams on the road also and also watch them on cable, and also the universities would want to come into the conference because of the exposure they would get in California and the recruiting that they would be able to get in California by coming to SC or UCLA every other year or Stanford or Cal every other year and so on. So I really think that's what they'll look at. But remember, I want to say this too. A lot of people don't know this. When you vote on expansion, and I haven't seen this in any article, it only takes one college to say, no, we don't want them, and that school doesn't come in. It's got to be unanimous by all 10 Pac-10 members to give an invitation for a university to possibly consider coming into the Pac-10. So it's a very long process and a lot of evaluations and history on their athletic program and history on their academics and all of that before someone is given an invitation. All right. Thanks for that, Coach. Thanks for the question, Evan. Um, one last thing, Coach, I want to touch on. Tomorrow's a big day for USC. There's not going to be any results or anything tomorrow, but the uh, university will be going to Arizona, and there will be a hearing, an NCAA hearing. So there's uh, reports going on, and there was a good, actually a couple good articles in the LA Times today that – kind of broke down the process of what goes through. It just seems a lot like a trial instead of a jury. I mean, you have opening arguments, closing arguments. There's there's evidence. Uh, instead of a jury, um, there's a panel there that will be listening to everything. And um, you're not going to hear, you know, and then if, if the NCAA feels there'll be sanctions at the end, um, that wouldn't come out for several weeks. But uh, the, the articles were kind of interesting, and they also gave five examples of programs that had different kind of violations and including institutional control, which is something that came up um, for USC. And none of them had, I mean, there was a lot of vacating and vacating of wins, um, some scholarship reductions, probation, probation seemed to be like the most common thing. Everyone was going to be on probation, but there wasn't really the, the kind of death penalty things that you would see where you can't go to a bowl game or you can't be on TV, which I think would not hurt, just hurt USC, but would hurt the entire conference. Um, what are your thoughts on this overall process? I mean, it's going to come up tomorrow. We probably won't know anything for for quite a while, but the process is getting started tomorrow, and maybe after five years or so, all this talk about Reggie Bush stuff will finally come to a close. Well, you know, I think it'd be good for the program to come to a close, but that's been used against USC in recruiting the last four or five years. It has, well, you don't know. They're going to go unsanctioned. They're not going to go to bowl games. They're not going to have this. They're not going to have that, and so on. And, you know, you got to look at this realistically. First of all, it's one player, okay? When you look at this, it's one player. Now, if it was Harvey Hyde, the player, nobody would care how what kind of house my dad lived in. But because it's Reggie Bush, a Heisman Trophy winner, everybody seems to care about it. So it's, it's not like 40 players got extra benefits, it's one player that supposedly had these things happen. I don't know. You don't know. I don't know who knows what. All I know is one player that happened to be a Heisman Trophy winner, so there's more focus on it. And that's what the media writes about, and that's what everybody talks about. So with it being Reggie Bush and not Harvey Hyde, everybody is looking to see just what might happen. Was he given extra things? Was he? And so on. They keep saying lack of institutional control. I mean, what else can they think of? Here you got an athletic department that has 600 athletes. You've got compliance directors. You have everyone 
that's trying to follow all the rules and regulations that are out there, and supposedly someone living 150 miles away or 100 miles away lives in a home that someone says this person shouldn't be able to live in that home, and there's some doings that are happening, supposedly, I don't know all this, that all of a sudden says lack of institutional control. Well, I know a lot of families that don't even, can't even take care of their own kids, let alone other people's kids and families, and, and asking them, hey, how, how do you live in this house? You shouldn't be living in this house. You, you don't deserve to live in this type of house. You should be living in that type of house. So, you know, lack of institutional control, let, let me tell you, Mike Garrett is on top of everything, okay, as hard as he can be. And I think he's handled this properly. Football, he couldn't do anything until the investigation is over with. People have been critical on the athletic department. They haven't done anything. What are they supposed to do? The basketball situation came up, and immediately it was hammered out and taken care of. So, you know, I'm saying this is something where both people go to the table. FC can't react until they hear exactly what the NCAA has findings are. And once they hear these findings, then they react to them as far as what we feel happened and how and how this, whatever the connections were, we were not aware of, and so on. Now, the NCAA has to look in their own backyard to say, now, is this lack of institutional control or is this just somebody out there causing trouble? And then they have to decide on just what the allegations are how true they are, and what the penalty should be, if any. So, you know, everybody has blown this situation up since it's not a Harvey Hyde situation. It's a Reggie Bush situation where who knows what it really is, the concrete facts. So, you know, from what the facts really are and what the articles really are could really differ a lot. Or there could be things that people aren't aware of. So the only thing people can do is sit down, look at each other, talk back and forth in a very professional manner, ask questions back and forth, find the facts, and then go off, as you said, not as a jury, but as administrators, and then sit down and say, you know, they really, it was impossible for them to know what was happening in this situation. Or the people involved in this really were vindictive and wanted to make a big deal out of nothing, or whatever, and then bring it to an end. But I really believe the sooner the better as far as putting water on this fire and putting it out and moving on. Yeah, I agree with you 100%, Coach. It's been way too long. So hopefully some sort of resolution will come to this fairly soon, and uh, we won't have to talk about it anymore. On the <laughs> Won't have to be a topic on the podcast any longer. But, Coach, thanks again for joining us. It's always uh Always entertaining, and we will uh, enjoy talking to you again next week. Ryan, thank you very much, and I look forward to being with you next week here on your tremendous web website. And, uh, you know, tell people how they can get involved more with this. Because you said you have videos on the new players and so on. It is great for, I mean, it's great to see all this stuff that you share with all our listeners. Thanks, Coach. Yeah, I know. We're, we're still working hard. It's the off season. Everything's getting ready. So we go down when the players work out. We do interviews with them. We'll take pictures, put up video so you can see everything that's going on. And the big thing, Coach, now is recruiting. We're going to talk to Gerard in the next segment. Lots of offers being handed out. This coaching staff has hit the ground running. A lot of juniors from all over the country are being offered. So we're up to speed on all those. We're usually breaking them so you know what's going on right away. And you go on USCfootball.com. You can check it out. I know you go there, Coach. You like it. I'm going to listen to it. Oh, when yeah. will you have that baby up so I can listen to it? I will. <laughs> all right, Coach. Well, thanks again, and we'll uh, talk to you next week. Okay, thank you. Take care. Everyone else, back in 30 seconds, talking recruiting with Gerard Martinez. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287. 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. 
now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. We are joined in this segment by uscfootball.com recruiting analyst Gerard Martinez. What's going on, Gerard? Nothing much. I'm on the Peristyle Podcast. That's what's going on. You are on the Peristyle Podcast. And hopefully you're enjoying yourself. You love, you love answering questions, talking about recruiting, don't you? Well, we just started, so I have yet to begin to enjoy myself, but I feel as in five minutes I will be enjoying myself. Very good. I like that. We, we always try to have a good time on the podcast, and most of the questions coming in uh, to the podcast, if you have questions, podcast at uscfootball.com is our email address, but most of the questions coming in are for Gerard. They, they do involve recruiting, and recruiting is always a big hot-button topic. We just had signing day a little while ago, a couple weeks ago. Now we're pushing forward. Class of 2011, lots of offers are going out there. Still some business to take care of for the class of 2010. Um, but let's get start, started with some questions for you, Gerard. The first one, there's actually a couple guys, David and Clay in L.A., wanted to know about Latuan Anderson. What do you know about him? I know that he's a very good player. Um, I, heard he was good. I know he's from Glenville, which is in Ohio, and I know that he's about 5'11, 185 pounds, plays safety, five star prospect, was uh, one of the better defensive backs we saw at the Army All-American game, and the East squad had definitely the better defensive secondary in that game. And uh, he's a kid that, you know, a lot of, I think a lot of scouts think, yeah, you know, maybe he could pull him in a corner because he doesn't have a lot of height, but he's pretty explosive and he's pretty physical. And while he doesn't have a lot of height, you know, you can point to a guy like Troy Palomalu. Um, you know, Pete Carroll definitely recruited the bigger safeties. He liked guys that were that Kevin Ellison, uh, Taylor Mays, Will Harris type linebackers slash safeties. Um, that may not be true of this new staff. Obviously, I think the new staff just wants to get talented guys in there. And obviously, with no uh, safety prospects in the 2000 class to this point, the 2010 class, Latuan um, Anderson would be a welcome addition to that. Uh, sounds like he's going to visit officially um, at USC January or excuse me, uh, where are we? We're in February. God, that's you know how messed up I am with this crazy. <laughs> This crazy, the coaching change. I'm still in San Antonio, I think. Like, I have flashbacks. I'm just waking up, and it's, you know, Friday before the Army All-American game, and Pete Carroll is on his way to Seattle. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, what? I have to now interview, like, 10 guys who are down here that are committed to USC to figure out if they're still going to go to USC. Um, I'm still locked in that hell. But, uh, no, February 26th, uh, they should uh, – he'll be visiting uh, USC with his father. He was going to visit USC last weekend – but his dad couldn't make it. So good sign for USC that he wants, you know, somebody in his family to be able to check it out and confer with. Um, you know, a lot of people feel like USC's got a really good shot at him. He committed to West Virginia. At this point, Ohio State's out of it. They were uh, thought to be, you know, a pretty big contender in the race for him. But now they've kind of opted out. Sounds like they don't have any more scholarships to offer. So it's going to be West Virginia and USC. And everybody just kind of assumes at this point he has not signed with West Virginia. He could have ended this a long time ago. He must be very seriously interested in USC. Some people take it farther and assume, well, if he likes USC, he'll sign with USC because he hasn't already gone to West Virginia. But I think that's a little bit of an assumption. Uh, Latuan doesn't say a ton. He's not uh, a real verbose interview, so you're not going to get a lot of detail from him as to what he's really thinking. He keeps it close to the vest. But USC definitely has a shot, and then, um, they're going to come in and uh, – kind of give him the, the red carpet tour, and we'll see how it goes with him. But that's what I know about Latuan Anderson. Right All now. right. Well, that's some good stuff you know about Latuan Anderson, more than most, I would say. Uh, I think her too. Second part of the question from David. Uh, he heard you say earlier there would be more scholarship offers coming from Lane Kiffin than USC fans may be used to. What is the thinking here? And with so many offers, do you think it devalues when a, a prospect gets an offer from USC because there's more of them being sent out? That's a good question. Um, I think that second part of the question cannot be answered at least immediately. I think you have to wait maybe a year. We have to look at next year, maybe even the year after, to kind of get a feel of how many offers actually get out there and what the reaction of high school coaches and the prospects uh, is to that 
process of maybe flooding offers out there. Right now, it looks like they're definitely putting out a lot more offers, especially nationally, than USC has in the past. Um, we're already, you know, we're we're not even into April yet, and there's. I don't know, almost uh, 30 plus offers out there, and a vast majority out them being to national prospects. Now you assume USC is going to offer quite a few kids in California as well, so that number is probably going to double. So you're going to be up there by May, probably in that 60, 65 range, and that's more than USC I think has ever had. So again, we're kind of looking at the trend as to what's happening now, and once you start getting the May valuation and going to see more local offers with the coaches being able to go on campus and look at some of these kids in person. And obviously with the camps, that's another opportunity and avenue to offer kids, uh, especially some of the sleeper kids where they may want to get some times or they may want to just, you know, get a better eyeball of a kid during drills. Um, all those things lead to offers, and they lead to offers, especially more on a local level. Uh, the tape evaluation tends to be where you get a lot more offers nationally, and USC has not hesitated uh, with Lane Kiffin and Ergeron, um to watch tape and offer kids immediately. It's been a pretty quick process where uh, kids uh, are, are talking to the coaching staff, and then within a week they've got a written offer. And that's, I think, the most significant part of these offers going out right now is that these are not just verbal offers. Florida has been notorious in the past few years of getting a lot of verbal offers, flooding you know, the country with 80-plus verbal offers by April, and not all of them being written, committable-type offers. Now, when you're writing an offer and the kid has it by hand, you know, it's, it's a little more significant. So USC has turned around and, you know, with the talk, they're walking the walk, and these kids that they're offering, they're giving them written scholarship offers, and it means a little more. So that's pretty significant. And there's basically every kid that we've talked to that has claimed a USC offer, and we've reported on they've had the written offer also. Um, because, again, you know, a verbal offer is, is like a fart in the wind, excuse me, but that's how it is. It just <laughs> comes and goes. You, you know, it's whatever. It doesn't mean anything. And, 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 you know, unfortunately, a lot of these verbal offers, what they've manifested into are a lot of commitments that are verbal commitments that mean about as much. There are farts in the wind, too, because kids say, oh, yeah, I'm going to this school, and they tell everybody in every Internet, you know, uh, publication they can. It's on Facebook. They're, they're, they're putting it on Twitter, and then, bang, next thing you know, two weeks later, the kids, ah, you know, I think I'm going to open up, you know, my choices and take some visits. And it's like, what? What is that? What kind of commitment is that? Well, to the nature of the beast, that's what's been created by the schools themselves putting out their verbal scholarship offers. So, you know, kind of kind of uh, tit for tat a little bit with the recruiting process. You know, recruits and college coaches going back and forth with that. Um, but, uh, yeah, right now there's more offers out than there's been. We anticipate more. And so uh, how that affects the actual, you know, the, the perception of what a USC offer means, because in past years, USC has definitely been on the, the lower tier as far as the quantity of scholarship offers out there. They've very been very picky, very picky. And so, you know, this is a this is kind of a different a different mode for them. And I think, you know, it's not just a perception by recruits, but also the media. You know, how does rivals view all these offers going out? You know, rivals I can tell you right now, talking to guys nationally that have nothing to do with USC they put USC as the standard of a scholarship offer. If a kid from out of state gets an offer from USC and he's, and he's a kid from New Jersey or he's from Ohio, he's from Florida, that kid is a big-time prospect. They look at him and go, yeah, that's a kid that we need to look at. That kid should probably be a four-star guy, obviously going back and looking at his tape. And, you know, there's other things that have to link up with that. But that's – a pretty big, hey, you know, red flag, look at this kid. He's probably a good player. Um, if you start to see a lot more offers go out, maybe they don't uh, they don't jump on that offer as much and, and think as highly of that. I know with Florida and certain other schools who put a lot of offers out there, um, the perception is not there from rivals. And, you know, I think at this point it's safe to say rivals is kind of the standard in terms of rankings and in terms of, you know, who everybody looks at for, you know, who are the top players, who are the five stars, who are the four stars. Oh, that makes sense, Gerard. And, you know, with the different philosophy, I think the coaches, just to add a little point to that, I mean, the way Pete Carroll did things is definitely different than the way Lane Kiffin is doing things right now. And I think that you almost see the coaches in kind of a catch-up mode where there's guys that maybe Pete Carroll would have waited to get on that, Kiffin and Orgeron and those guys want to get on a little bit earlier and they've already been contacted by other coaches that 
that give out, you know, more offers, which are most, most other schools in the country. So they feel like they're kind of coming in second or third or fourth when they'd rather be right out in front. And it's just because, you know, Pete Carroll wasn't, that wasn't his style. He wasn't going to be out there and be the first offer all the time. And, and let's make clear the way USC was doing it with Pete Carroll was really more of the exception to the rule than what has become the norm. The norm has become putting a lot of scholarships out there. But like I said, it tends to be more of the verbal scholarship offers. You know, a lot of stuff is not necessarily backed up, written, and that may be kind of the difference right now with what USC is doing. And to be honest with you, I mean, it's going to sound like a homer comment, but I think it's more sincere. I mean, I think if you're going to say, hey, we really want you to play football at USC, then put it in writing and send the kid to offer. And that's what they've done. They've turned around the next day. I mean, these kids, it's pretty funny because, I mean, usually a kid, you know, gets an offer and it's two or three days later, maybe even a week later uh, with this coaching staff, and that offer is in the mail the next day, and the kid's like, wow, okay, yeah. Uh, they just were talking about an offer, and bam, I've got a written offer right now. And that's, I think, kind of surprising them and maybe making more of an impression than uh, anything else. All right. Uh, next we have an international question, which I know you enjoy, and we do, podcast at uscfootball.com. Any country in the world, drop us an email. We'll try to answer your question. Robert in Honduras, he's asked us some questions before. Gerard, 13 prospects committed to Texas during the uh, Texas Junior Day weekend, many of them future four- and five-star guys. What makes Texas Junior Day so special that every year they get so many commits? Are there other schools that get 10-plus commits on their Junior Day? Well, first of all, we appreciate the international questions. Um, Texas gets so many commitments on their junior day because they want so many commitments on their junior day, first of all. Um, all those kids are Texas kids. So they're local players. They've grown up Texas fans. Texas kind of knows already going in, you know, what kids they have good shots at and what kids, you know, might want to weigh out the process. So they're selectively going, okay, we want to get this class going. We want a foundation early in the year. We're not going to wait until after summer to evaluate guys more. We know who we want. They offer and they ask for commitment. So I think that's the most significant thing. USC could do the same, quite frankly. Um, They could offer 20 kids in-state, local, and say, we want you guys committed. And they could get 10 commitments, 12 commitments, uh, without a doubt in my mind. It's just a matter of the way you play the game and the way you play the process. And USC has always been one of those schools because, again, they're looking more out of state and they want to be able to cherry pick, or at least in years past. I mean, now with the amount of offers, I don't know if it's called cherry picking anymore. They might just stay after class, might be out of state. We'll see. Um, But because they're looking out of state, regardless of quantity, um, you've got to be able to leave room there. You cannot just go and say, okay, we're going to have 15 guys locally, and then you know maybe we'll have five more guys that we can get out of state. Well, five more guys, I mean, USC's offered 20, 22 guys out of state this far. So you know that pool of guys that they like out of state is much bigger than just five guys. And so they want to wait. They're going to take their time. They're going to wait for official visits. We'll see how they do the official visit process. That's been something that USC's been unique with in past years also. They haven't had a ton of official visits during the season, mainly because Pete Carroll, he wants to concentrate on football. He wants to prepare his football team for the games. And when you're doing a lot of recruiting visits, sometimes that can be a little bit um, distracting. And not just distracting for the football team and the coaches, but sometimes it's not fair to the recruits because, you know, the coaches want to get to the X's and O's. They want to be in film. They want to talk to the team. They can't, you know, be sitting around and holding hands with recruits and talking to parents the whole weekend. So that's a process where in past years you have seen very few official visits during the season. What they do is they wait for the majority of being after the season. And that, quite frankly, was something that worked very much in the advantage of the new coaching staff coming in because they were lucky enough to have plenty of official visit openings and plenty of guys still on the board that had yet to take official visits. Trust me, they don't have that ability to lock down those 14 commitments that they had, or at least the 13 or 12 that they ended up with, plus the guys that they were still recruiting on the board. If those guys had already taken official visits, it would have been much harder because you can't bring those guys back out you know, to USC and to talk with them and to kind of of womb and kind of try to you know bring down that home stretch and and get them to sign so you know it worked for them because the new coaching staff was coming in late we'll see if that's the process you know in in next year's uh you know season 
the thing when you look at Tennessee, they did have quite a few official visits during the season, big games. You know, obviously that maybe that's a bigger thing for the SEC, trying to get the kids in the environment and with the fans and all that stuff. Um, you know, it's a different situation maybe with USC also because uh, you can bring kids out here in January and it'll be 75 degrees and sunny, and that sometimes is a big impact. So there's a lot of variables to that. But to go back to the original question, I know I'm kind of off base here, um, USC could get 13 commitments. It's just a matter of them not really wanting to. They don't want to settle. Um, they want to be able to just kind of look and see what's going on. They can offer these guys out of state because mainly they've got to get their foot in the door with kids out of state earlier, again, to make that kind of impact. Hey, this is USC. We're coming after you early. We've got to build that rapport earlier because you're so far away, and chances are you're not going to be able to make multiple unofficial visits to the school, whereas kids locally – you don't have to necessarily offer them to still build the relationships because they can come to the basketball games. They can come to unofficial visits and these little junior days and meet and greets that they have during the spring, and they can watch practices. And there, you know, you can get close to the coaches and you can talk to them, and there doesn't necessarily have to be an offer in play to make an impression and impact on the recruitment. All right, Robert, thanks for that question. And uh, speaking of junior days, Gerard, Kevin Lee wants to know, will USC have a junior day? When is it? Who's invited to those things? A junior day, they may not. Um, the really, I mean, see, we talked about Texas's junior day. Well, here's the funny thing about Texas's junior day: they're having another one this weekend, and they're going to have even more kids coming down. So, junior days are no longer really junior days. Um, they're usually multiple unofficial visits that are wrapped around a basketball game or just an event where the kids and the coaches can meet and talk a little bit. Um, the days of, I remember when they, USC had the junior day when Reggie Bush, it coincided with pro day. I don't know if you remember that line where they had Reggie Bush out there yeah. and they had Linda White and they had, they had this big, huge pro day, like Matt Leinart. I mean, all these guys coming out that year and they had it coinciding just, you know, across Heritage Hall at the, I don't know what the cinema building, I can't remember what building it was, but it was just, you know, across the walkway. And you've got 500 kids or something for junior day, and you've got this spectacle of pro day going on at the track. It was, it was, it was crazy. It was, the, it was a bad idea. I mean, it was a good idea, I think, in concept and on paper. And then when it was trying to be executed, you had Lane Kiffin. And Lane Kiffin remembers he was running back and forth to the track trying to check out what Reggie Bush was doing and then running back over to try to talk to juniors and going back and forth. It was this huge thing. Mark Tyler of all people, was actually sitting outside with me and Brian Price because there was no more room in the, in the auditorium uh, to watch the video. There was, it was packed. There was 300, 400 people there, and they could, there was no more room. So we had two five-star guys sitting out there um, outside, and we were just, you know, just hanging out. <laughs> so, because, you know, not probably the best thing in the world. Nowadays, you want them to be more personal. Uh, the coaches want to be able to talk to these kids. And, again, like I said, build relationships. USC had a quasi-junior meet-and-greet last weekend uh, where you had Victor Blackwell, uh, one of the top receivers from modern day high school in Santa Ana, California, 6'1", 195, all-state player, fantastic wide receiver and kickoff return guy, a guy that played with Matt Barkley um, as a sophomore and was a standout player. Uh, you had uh, George Farmer, uh, 6'2", 195-pound receiver, and probably the best receiver in California at this point. Um, he's got an offer. His teammate, Marquise Lee, safety. Um, you also had, uh, see who else was that, Greg Townsend, Jr., 6'3", uh, 240-pound defensive end from uh, Beverly Hills High School, the son of Greg Townsend, Sr., who played for TCU and went on with the Raiders, and everybody knows. Uh, so, I mean, you had, you know, a group of very good players there um, at the basketball game, kind of a junior day. Not the big spectacle junior day where they're going to invite 40 guys and it's going to be this whole big scene, but still, you know, uh, maybe as impactful, maybe just as important um, as the past junior days as they've had, you know, uh, back in the years where you had, you know, the 40 kids show up. All right. Well, thank you for that one, Kevin. And thanks, Gerard. And the last one. Gerard, I think you're going to love this question. This is from Billy. I think that's how you pronounce it. B-I-L-L-E. So uh, He's from American Samoa, dubbed by 60 Minutes as Football Island. His question. Football you... Island, which uh, I don't know. The Tongans are not going to agree with that one, but go ahead. Oh, that's true. Yes, there's some rivalry there. But does USC have a chance of getting Greg Townsend Jr. to commit to USC? 
And do you think Lane Kiffin and Coach O would come and recruit here at American Samoa? We have good defensive line, linebacker, and offensive line prospects here. 2010, BCS champs are bust. Billy. Oh, a chances question. You know, we don't like chances questions. But from Samoa, I mean, come on. We got to answer. Yeah, we got to entertain. We got to go with Samoa. Especially, we got Samoa asking about defensive line questions. Because, I mean, that's, you know, that's just, gosh, man. Samoa and defensive linemen, that's why you go to Samoa. And, yeah, I think Edward and... Lane Kiffin, I think that's a possibility. I think the one thing that's interesting about it, though, is that, you know, in, in years past, USC has had uh, some Polynesian connections on the coaching staff. Um, you've had, you know, obviously, Norm Chow, and you had Kennedy Pora, and, uh, you know, even for Steve Scarkeesian, with a little bit of his Mormon background and BYU, um, you know, there's a, a little bit, you know, some connection there, some people he knew on the islands, and he would, you know, he recruited to Hawaii for USC for uh, a couple of years. Um, we don't know, I don't know if this coaching staff's going to have anybody like that. Uh, so that may be, you know, very impactful is that if they go that far out there, that's a long flight. That's a long flight out to Samoa, um, to recruit Samoa and Tonga. Um, so that, that might be what answers your question right then and there. If they have the connection, the guy that can get the information that says, yeah, we need to go all that way out there because there's a great player named Loni Fangupo on the island of Tonga, and we need to have him. Now, Loni was actually from La Mariata. I mean, he wasn't born in Tonga or anything, but yeah. you get my drift. <laughs> um, but uh, anyways, uh, now with Greg Townsend Jr., yes, they have a great shot in him. Um, he will be a national prospect, and his dad will entertain national, national interests, um, Miami, you know, they threw Clemson at me the last time I talked to him, and I was like, okay, Clemson, that's an interesting offer. Um, so they're going to play along with it, and uh, it'll be a little bit like George Farmer. I think George is going to get tired of the uh, of the recruiting process quicker. Um, I think he's already kind of getting tired of the recruiting process, but I think his dad really enjoys it. So I don't know. I mean, that's, that's going to be one of those things where he's probably just going to say, Pops, you know, go ahead and handle it. You love talking to these reporters. Uh, you know, go ahead and, and have, you know, have fun with it. Um, whereas I think Greg Jr. probably is going to enjoy the process more than when the senior will. And, um, but USC is going to be there. They're going to be, I don't know if I would say tough to beat because it's so early on. And, you know, we could sit here and profess, you know, at this point of the year last year, how uh, Ronald Powell was a Trojan lean. And so, you know, things happen and things change and depth charts. And, I mean, there's a lot of variables coming up this season with how this coaching staff adapts to the team that it has, how the team adapts to the coaching staff and the coaching style, and what happens with this NCAA meeting that's coming up. I mean, there's so many things that are – Peter question marks, you know, for USC going into the season, um, you know, to, to, to really put the lock on any kid. I've never done it in the past. I certainly wouldn't do it this season, to be honest with you. Uh, but, yeah, chances-wise, I'd say USC is a good 65% chance of getting Greg Townsend Jr., um, and we're in February. So take it with a grain of salt, but that's, that's my answer for that one. Thanks. And we out there in Samoa. Yeah, thanks, Billy, yeah, for our first American for... Samoa question. That was that's pretty cool. Football Island. That that's was awesome. A, that was great. Yeah. All right, Gerard. Well, thank you very much, and thanks to all our questions out there. Thanks, Gerard, for answering them. Great job no as problem. always. And uh, we'll uh, I guess we'll talk to you next week. You will. You will. And um, I don't know. I don't know what's going on next week. We got any kind of events coming up? Like, what do we have to look forward? to the podcast next week, Ryan. Tease it a little bit for me. We're like, going to tease why it. Why do I need to listen? Well, we could have some news on the, filling out the class of 2010. Maybe we know some more about Marquise Jackson. Maybe Who's going to be the offensive coordinator? Come on. Maybe Sean Joe Henderson. Uh, maybe offensive coordinator stuff. Who knows? But lots. we always have lots to talk about. It's, it's fun, dude. It's the off season, But it, I think these podcasts are even better just because there's so many things to talk about that could go on and leading up to the season. I think it's more interesting than actually than the, than the season itself when we talk about the games. <laughs> it's more it's more interesting to talk about what could happen than talking about what has what happened. What did happen, yes. <laughs> That's a good point. All right, Gerard. Well, thanks again. We'll talk to you next week. All right. Take care. Everyone else, stay tuned. We're going to talk a little bit more Trojan football after this 30-second break. You are listening to the Peristyle Podcast from Los Angeles, California. 
USC Trojan fans to get into the huddle of your Southern Cal Trojans, log on to uscfootball.com today for all the latest in Trojan football, basketball, and recruiting news. Ryan Abraham will give you an in-depth analysis, recruiting updates, and will answer your questions every day on the message board. So for all the latest in team and recruiting news on your USC Trojans, check out uscfootball.com, the officially licensed Southern Cal site of the Rivals.com network. It's time to get back to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast, our third and final segment. We're going to talk with Brian Fisher, uscfootball.com staff member. Brian, what's up, man? I'm doing good. Just uh, enjoying the uh, beautiful weather we have in L.A. I know uh, everybody's enjoying it after uh, a few bad weeks, but uh, the sun is back out and I'm happy, just like everyone else. Absolutely gorgeous outside. We got to go down to the players-only workout uh, Tuesday, yesterday afternoon, and man, sunny skies. The offensive players were out there tossing the ball around. Looked like, you know, <laughs> I know there's snow all over the place, but man, it was just gorgeous to be in Southern California. I think it's a it's a big recruiting tool for uh, Lane Kiffin and his staff. Yeah, I know. I, I saw some uh, photos po- posted on the uh, Ripset blog just of you know, around campus and, you know, skyline shots of L.A. And uh, it's definitely can be used uh, as a recruiting tool, especially when you uh, are chucking the recruits, you know, back east or somewhere in the north and uh, they're under a foot of snow. Coming out here in 75 and sunny every day isn't too bad, uh, especially now. No, we got to see some of your photos up there. There was a nice shot of uh, downtown in the background. A lot of the players, it wasn't a a workout that was like the workouts we've seen in the past. It was mostly just some of the offensive players, a lot of the new players. Um, we did get to see Mitch Mustaine throw a lot of balls, walk on John Manugi and throw a lot of balls. And most of the guys receiving were like guys like Ronald Johnson, Kyle Prater, Dylan Baxter, uh, Red Ellison was out there. But we did get to see some of these offensive guys perform. What did you think of the whole thing? Well, you know, I think uh, it's really been – surprising and surprising in a good way to see uh, Ronald Johnson and Kyle Prater and Dylan Baxter. They've really been uh, the kind of trio that's been at every workout and they've really come out to work hard. And, you know, they do have a little fun sometimes, you know, like Dylan Baxter was playing uh, defensive back sometimes against uh, some of the receivers uh, uh, yesterday, but they're really coming out there to work hard and, uh, you know, learn the offense, develop some timing with quarterbacks. And, uh, it's really been great to see. Although yesterday was kind of a, uh, it's kind of a weird feeling because there was really only those three guys running rounds. Uh, uh, Trayvon Patterson was out there, Bryce Butler was out there, but they were kind of doing work off to the side, uh, kind of as an extension from the uh, morning workout that they've been doing. But uh, it's just kind of kind of nice, easy going type uh, workout, and uh, they certainly got their work in, but. Uh, you know, I think they'll they'll be out there Thursday and uh, ready to go against the defense, and I'm sure the intensity will pick up then. Certainly, yeah. And if, for people who don't know, they do uh, three days, four days a week actually. They'll do conditioning and lifting with uh, strength and conditioning coach, conditioning coach uh, Aaron Osmus. They do that usually workouts in the mornings. They'll do them at like six, eight, and ten. And then a couple days a week they'll get out there and throw. And we talked to Mitch Mustaine a little bit yesterday, and you know he felt that was a good amount. You know, sometimes. In the past, they might throw three days a week, but two was pretty good. And, you know, they get a, get some reps in, and it was a good chance for some of these young players to kind of learn different routes, learn their teammates, and it really gives them a leg up as, as opposed to some of the other guys coming in. A lot of talented offensive players coming in this recruiting class, but you got to give a, a nod to Dylan Baxter and Kyle Prater just because they're getting to see so much this summer, and they'll get even more exposure this spring. You know, absolutely. And uh, when Matt Barkley comes back in and, and starts throwing to those guys at full strength, it'll really uh, come into play during the spring because he'll know the timing uh, with those guys, uh, you know, really before even putting on the pads. You know, he'll know where uh, Dylan Baxter likes to break on an out route or where Kyle Prater likes uh, uh, the fade placed uh, in the air. And uh, it's just those little things that will really start to develop over time that uh, – uh, the guys are working at uh, out there in the spring, and that'll you know really pay off dividends come spring ball, come fall camp. You know those guys will be so far advanced of a guy like Marquise Ambles who won't get here until the summer. 
and um, you know he won't get here till the summer, so he won't be able to develop that relationship that those other guys will have. And uh, you know, as far as those guys only coming out there two days a week, it it might be good for them because uh, you know it, it is it is tough going out there and running full speed like they are um, for uh, you know really an hour hour and a half out there running full speed. And so uh, the two days, I know you mentioned Mitch Mustain a, f- a few seconds ago, um, saying it's a good good amount. Seeing those guys out there for two days a week, uh, running those routes full speed, uh, will really develop not only some stamina, but uh, it'll keep them fresh for the spring as well. I agree with you, and I misspoke before. I said summer. I meant winter workouts. So they'll do, you know, after the the uh, the bowl game, they'll do their winter workouts, conditioning, throwing the ball around, spring ball. Then they'll start their summer workout regimen, and that's when some of the other freshmen get to come in. But like you said, just big advantage for guys like Prater and Baxter. I talked to Barkley about it yesterday, and he's like, yeah, just like it helped me and helped him become a starter. I mean, it could give these guys a boost, and it could give them a chance to start as well. But I wanted to talk about Barkley a little bit, just for people that don't know. He was, you know, he had surgery, wrist surgery, three, three, four weeks ago, something like that. Been rehabbing, coming back. He was out in the sling. Then he had just like a little brace on. Now he's he's out there with no brace whatsoever. Uh, he was throwing left-handed quite a bit in the in the previous weeks, and this last practice he was doing some really light tossing. And I got to talk to him afterwards, and we put up an interview on uscfootball.com. You can read the full thing. But he was going to see Doctor Taboni, and was hoping to get cleared that night. And then uh, I got word from him last night that he was cleared, so he was pretty happy about that. He's cleared to throw. He's not going to be throwing, um, you know, full speed yet or anything, but it's he's cleared to work his way up to going full speed. So he said he's going to take it slow and start throwing again, but things are looking good for him uh, being able to go full speed once spring ball rolls around. Yeah, I wouldn't expect anything less than him being 100% once uh, spring ball comes up and probably a few more weeks before that. Uh, you know, the thing that kind of stood out to me was, when he said that he's, you know, still able to lift and, and you know do the bench press and all that, that to me kind of, I guess, uh, tells me that it was the problem was more in the wrist how he was rotating. You know, if if you're throwing the football, you have to really kind of snap the wrist wrist over um, and, and turn your hand over real quick. And so it sounds like if he's able to do, you know, straight up and down with say a bench press or uh, you know working out that way, um, that when it comes to throwing. Uh, he should be just fine. It's just maybe a little sore, a little tender as he rotates the wrist. And um, when he does get out there, I'm sure he'll take it slow. He won't really try to throw it very hard, but eventually he'll be able to build that strength back up. And it could actually be good for him, you know, considering he never played, uh, you know, a full schedule like he did last year. You know, he did miss one game, but uh, you know, that's a lot of reps on the arm and on the wrist and you know, taking a little time off, having the surgery to re- relieve, you know, the little uh, tenderness or pain that was in there, uh, that could pay off uh, down the road for him um, just because there's not going to be as much wear and tear as if he were, you know, throwing in the spring, uh, you know, throwing right now during the, the workouts, throwing in the summer. You know, that's building up miles on a young arm. And just, just like a uh, pitcher in spring training, you might want to limit their innings early on so they're fresher. Uh, coming you know, into the fall camp or whatnot, uh, I think you could see the similar thing with Matt Barkley. And, you know, and, you know talking with him, um, from what the doctors have told him, it, it sounds like he'll be fine come spring ball. So there's really nothing for Trojan fans to worry about unless, you know, down the road he, he tweaks it or something like that. Uh, then maybe you start to worry. But uh, from all indications that we had, uh, he'll do just fine. Yeah, he's an extremely confident kid, and I, he wasn't, you know, we talked to him a little bit after practice, and he wasn't really using the wrist as an excuse why, you know, he maybe wasn't playing as well towards the end of the season. I think that you mentioned a lot of different factors that could come into that. He wasn't trying to say, well, I was hurt all year. That's why certain things were happening. I mean, he really, he just kind of put it on, hey, you know, I just got to play better. And I, I think right now he's waiting <laughs> waiting to see who his quarterback coach is going to be, but um, as long as he's healthy, I think that he showed he's mentally tough enough to go out there and, and help this team and help them win. And, and, you know, he's even though he can't throw right now, he talked about taking mental reps and trying to help some of the younger players. So 
he seems like he's inserting himself, doing whatever he can to try and make this team better until he could come back and be full strength like we talked about. Yeah, I mean, he's kind of one of the epitomes of a, a team leader. You know, he's out there when he's hurt. He's uh, still doing all the workouts as much as he's uh, able to do as far as what the doctors have said. And um, I, I think the guys see that. You know, the, the wide receivers see him out there. Even though he's, uh, you know, can't throw, he's throwing with his left hand to him. And so, uh, you know, little things like that. He's always a very personable guy, uh, has a really kind of an infectious attitude, uh, very much like Pete Carroll was. I think that's why those two mesh so well. Um, and, and it kind of rubs off on all the guys. And, uh, you know, I don't know anybody that's kind of turned off by him. They're, they're all very happy to be around him. And, and certainly uh, he's a good quarterback. And uh, I think, you know, everybody on the team uh, is going to be excited to get him back. What, what, what about some of the other uh, storylines that have been going on down there? Anything kind of standing out to you that, not just from this last practice, but any other practice before, something that was kind of interesting that caught your eye that maybe you want to share with the Trojan fans out there? Um, you know, I, I really think that of the new guys coming in, if you're you're kind of pegging the guys who, who might find playing time early, I, I would point to, say, Dylan Baxter over a Kyle Prater or, uh, you know, Robert Woods or Marquis Ambles. Um, he, he really is, is looking uncomfortable out there. And he's such a good athlete. Physically, I think he would be ready to jump right in and take the hits. And he can do so many different things. Uh, maybe the only thing I, we haven't seen him do uh, out there in the workouts is uh, throw the ball, um, which we certainly know he could do uh, down there in Mission Bay. Uh, but he, he really runs very, very good routes, um, runs them very hard, very full speed. Um, and, you know, the thing that I saw one one time is when he was wide open and, and Mitch Mustaine is, you know, throwing the ball away, you know, he was just yelling, you know, you know, he was just disgusted that he didn't get the ball because he was wide open and, and it was a, on a backside route and he's wide open. And, and that to me kind of signals that, you know, he's, he wants to compete. He wants to be a competitor and get out there and he wants the ball in his hands. And, uh, you know, that, that drive you see, uh, from certain players uh, is always something you look for if you're a coach. And uh, I think he has it, and I think he'll do everything he can to get out there on the field. And uh, I, I know the coaching staff, once they're able to uh, uh, get, them, get, get him out there in pads and, and really work with him, uh, develop him in an offense, uh, they're going to be excited too. He is a competitor. I mean, you just watched some of these workouts, and you can tell he's out there every play competing. He was playing a lot of defensive back, batted – couple balls away, Ronald Johnson was trying to stick like glue to Kyle Prater. It was one play that uh, he was on Kyle Prater, like white on rice, just all over him, but it was thrown a little high, and Prater showed what he can do and catching those kind of like fade routes and those sideline routes, just sticking up one hand and having it, you know, the football stick to his paw. Um, but just he showed such a competitive edge out there, and the, the uncoverable part, I mean, it's true. There's, there's certain guys that run routes and just, I don't know if they're not deceptive or what, but there's Defensive backs just seem to kind of stick to him. For him, he's always seems to slither away and get open somehow. He just kind of has this instinct where he knows where he can go to get free and get some space from that defender. He just seems to always do that in those workouts. So, like you said, yeah, when the pads come on, I'm really interested to see what he's going to do because even though he's a true freshman, he might make it almost impossible for the coaching staff not to figure out a way to get him on the field somewhere. And, and one of the few things I, I saw when the defense is out there and they are kind of playing uh, a true kind of seven-on-seven seven is uh, he's able to find, you know, when the defense is playing zone, he's able to kind of find those soft spots in the zone and sit down, you know, if it's a, a stick route or, or a stop. He's able to kind of find those little open spots. Um, and that's really rare for a, a young player. And I, I think it does come back to when he was playing, you know, quarterback and, uh, you know, in high school uh, – you know, few people get to, you know, really look at the field and survey it and say, where's, you know, what is the defense going to give me? And, and I think, you know, the role he had in high school and in his offense uh, has kind of prepared him pretty well for, uh, you know, finding the soft spots in the zone, identifying what the coverage is, and, uh, and, and making, you know, one, two moves to get open. And uh, that's certainly been very impressive. Ronald Johnson's also looked very impressive. Looks quicker, looks faster um, than what he was. And, and truly healthy, you know, injury-free, 
uh, coming out there, Kyle Prater. Uh, he looked, he didn't look as good yesterday uh, as uh, the previous workouts. He seemed a little bit slow, but I think that could have just been because uh, he was tired because he's working out before the uh, uh, throwing got underway. But really the whole group that comes out there, you know, uh, Mitch Mustaine's looked pretty good. Uh, you know, everybody out there, it seems like everybody wants to get better. And, and, you know, talking with the players, everybody wants to use last year as a motivation. So they're really, you know, focusing with new coaching staff on making, you know, 2010 a big year. All right. Well, Brian, thanks very much for all your insights. We enjoy you on the podcast, and we look forward to talking to you next week. All right. Great to be on. All right. This is the Peristyle Podcast. Thank you all out there for listening, and we will talk to you all next week. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 